Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Lenny. I'm the church planting resident here at Grace Anglican. I'm originally from Germany, and um, I just want to say before I say anything else that I'm, I'm a guest here in your country, and my heart really goes out to you for, for what's been happening here. Um, it seems like there hasn't been a quiet moment and a peaceful moment almost since the beginning of the year, and my prayers, our prayers are are with you, and I trust that today as we hear about the Trinity, about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that, that we will just get a glimpse again of what God sees when He sees us and when He sees this, this world and when He sees your nation. And so let's just pray together before we start. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you are the, the great creator of, of everything and that no issue, no problem is too big for you. And we invite you into this into this world, into this nation, and into this place this morning, wherever we are. And we ask that you would help us reflect you in your unity, in your glory. Come now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I do really firmly believe that every time there's a lot of shaking going on in the world, God really has a secret plan, a secret agenda, something to to really put the enemy to shame. When he's trying to use things to destroy and to kill and to steal, God comes and he has a plan to bring life. And I believe that we as the church, we are called to be part of that, of that bringing of life to the world. And so I believe that in times like this, we are actually called to mirror, to, to reflect the glory of the God that we worship. And I'm personally very excited this morning to be preaching about the Trinity, because for me personally, this has been one of the most amazing discoveries of the last years. Just a rediscovery, I would rather have to say, of who this God is that we worship, a triune God. And I believe for us as a church, it is so relevant now that we reflect the image of a God who is one. And um, I want to quickly take you into a brief history and overview of the Trinity. And it's I mean, we're talking about decades of theological discussions and debates that happened many centuries ago, but I just find it important for us to just have a little bit of a context of what we mean by Trinity and where this idea or this doctrine comes from. And it, it basically has its, root, it, its roots in the Bible, thank God, okay, otherwise we shouldn't be talking about the Trinity, but it really became an issue of debate in the fourth century when more and more people started teaching heresies about who Jesus was and heresies about who the Holy Spirit was. And so there were a few church fathers that God raised up to, to become pillars of truth in a way. One of them was a famous church father called, called Athanasius. And he actually became a forerunner in the formulation of what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. And some of you may know that in the Book of Common Prayer, we actually have the so-called Athanasian Creed in the back. I don't know the exact page. It's somewhere at the very end of the Book of Common Prayer. It's the Creed of Athanasius. It's quite a, a heavy document. Uh, it's quite long, but I want to read one uh, passage from that Creed to you. It says, There is one Father, not three fathers. One Son, not three sons. One Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghosts. And, this trinity, in, and in this Trinity, none is before or after another. None is greater or less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal. Wow, there's a lot of good stuff in here. And there was a lot of debate among 
people back then to, to come to this conclusion. There are distinct persons in the Trinity, but they are so one that they almost appear as, as one. And so over the, the, the decades, there have been people trying to figure out what this mystery is and how this can be described. And some people ended up in a, in a camp called tritheism, thinking that there are literally three individual gods that just kind of are huddling together, but it's really three dis distinct people. And then there's the other extreme, it's called modalism, which basically means God appears in different forms and different modes, but it's really just one God. People like to compare the Trinity to water, for example, and say, well, water can appear as ice, as steam, and as a, as a liquid fluid. And that would be modalism, because it's still the same water, and it doesn't appear at the same time as ice or, or vapor. Um, or, or steam. So it's difficult, and we have to just admit, admit at the end of the day that the Trinity is a mystery. And you know what? I love that. I, I love that at the heart of the God we worship, we have to say He's a mystery. Because the moment we, we thought that we could wrap our mind around it, that moment we would be creating God in our own image and in our own limited understanding, and that would not be healthy for us. So let's always remind ourselves of the fact that God is a mystery. And um, a few weeks ago, I gave a little defense of the Trinity and just pulling together some scriptures to, that prove the fact that both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all fully divine, fully equal, fully eternal, fully God, and yet distinct. And usually people don't have much of an issue to acknowledge that the Father is God. Um, people struggle a bit more when it comes to Jesus. There was a research done by um, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research a few years ago, and they interviewed 3,000 Americans. And along, uh, among those with evangelical beliefs, so people like most of us probably, 78% believed that Jesus was at some point created by the Father. Now, this may sound right to you or not, but I just want to say that Scripture does not say that Jesus was ever created. Yes, Jesus came at some point in the incarnation, but he pre-existed, and he himself actually says that, and all of Scripture witnesses to that fact, that Jesus was not created. He is God, fully God, in human form. He was referred to as the Word of God that became flesh, and you never separate a person from his Word. Do we say that God at some point in the past existed without a Word? It wouldn't make sense. The Father and the Son always pre-existed. And similar with the Holy Spirit, 59% of interviewed people said that they believed the Holy Spirit to be a force. Okay, Star Wars-like, may the force be with you type of spirit. No, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the way Jesus introduced us to him. He very clearly talks about him as a person. And because we just celebrated Pentecost and we're still in the aftermath of Pentecost, I want to give a little bit more of a of an angle today in this message on the Holy Spirit, because I think he's somewhat of the forgotten, amazing third person of the Trinity um, in our churches. So today we'll be especially in honor of him. But since he's so united with the Father and the Son, I'm sure they will share in his glory too. Um, you know, why, why I believe that this is so important, that we believe in a triune God and that we accept this doctrine that we get from Scripture is because we start to realize that from eternity, God existed within a relationship in himself. At no point in history did God ever feel lonely. 
Scripture says in 1 John, 1 John 4, verse 8, God is love. He is love because he has always existed within a loving relationship. Some people think that God is a distant, solitary individual who from eternity happened to be lonely and we don't know what he did. And then somehow he needed people to tell him he's amazing, so he created something to worship him. And, and if we think this through, it creates a really dangerous path. But if we accept the fact that God has existed within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that they were completely loving and united and perfectly happy among themselves, then we realize that all of creation really is an extension, an overflow of this relationship. Creation was not a, created as a means to an end to satisfy a lonely God or somebody who needed worship. God does not need our worship. We need to worship Him, yes. But even that, is, is, we, we need it because we, we were made to be part of that Trinitarian relationship. And, and that is something I want to come to back to later. But let me just make that point clear again. God does not need our worship. He is perfectly loving and united even within the Trinity. And so I want to take you into an overview quickly now. Make a run through the Bible and see how the Trinity appears from the first moment of creation all the way until now here today in this COVID crisis and, and other crises we're experiencing at the moment. I love that today we started with the very first verse written in the Bible. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. And um, we see the Trinity present at creation. We see the Father creating heaven and earth, the Holy Spirit descending upon the waters, and then in the next verse, we didn't read it this morning, but it said, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now that is the word of God speaking and being heard for the first time. And that is, according to the New Testament, is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. So we have the Father, we have the Spirit, and we have the word all present at the very beginning of creation. And then we move on and we see that... Um, that later in, in verses 26 and 27, God took this dust from the ground and he shaped it and he, he breathed his spirit into it and, and he created male. And then out of the male, he, he took something from the substance of maleness and we don't know what exactly that looked like, but instead of creating a separate individual human being out of the dust, he took something from, from the male human, from Adam, and and use that to create Eve. And I believe this is a reflection of how the Trinity is. We're co-substantial. Male and female, we, we share the same substance. We're human, and yet we are distinct. And as male and female come together, there will be one flesh, spiritually, but even physically. As there is a baby conceived, there is this image of one fleshness coming out of the unity of male and female. It's just amazing how even in the creation of humanity, there is this reflection of this tri-dimensional unity, co-substantial, and so on. It's mind-boggling, really, if you think about it. And why is that? Because we are image-bearers of this God. We were created in His image. And it's reflected even in our genders. Now, we have the problem that the fall came. Ah, we sinned. All of us sinned. Adam and Eve sinned. And what we saw happen is in that moment, a division came into the world. Something that deeply divided people 
within themselves, among themselves, in their relationship with God. We hear Adam blaming Eve and Eve blaming the serpent and Adam blaming God. Why did you create her in the first place? And, and, and Eve blaming the serpent. And the serpent is like, uh, all right, I don't have anyone else to blame. So she was the first one to bite the dust. And um, we just see this ripple effect of division. The next generation, Cain and Abel, two people, and one kills the other. And, and we just see it becoming worse and worse and worse until God says, I, I, I can't stand it. I regret that I created mankind. And he sends the flood and he wipes everything out except for Noah and his descendants. And then towards the end of the flood, Noah sends out a dove, a sign, a picture of the Holy Spirit who again descended on the waters and came back with a sign of a new creation that was out there. So we see again the Holy Spirit in a way being involved there in, in bringing forth something new. And then after Noah came, we have again a, re, a degeneration. And it just goes on and on and on. And I don't want to go into all the details. But what we do see is that after sin came in, we stopped being the perfect image bearers that God intended for us to be. We did not reflect God in his unity anymore. There was suspicion, disunity to this day between male and female black and white, Germans and Americans. Back then, it was even worse, 70 years ago. I probably would not be here as a German preaching in an American church, um, especially a tall, blue-eyed one. Um, but then we have redemption. We have what we just saw in Matthew chapter 3, this powerful picture of of heaven opening up, and something happened again upon the waters right here. And we see the Holy Spirit coming again onto the waters in form of a dove. And we see new creation coming out of the waters in the form of Jesus Christ, the eternal Word of God, the second member of the Trinity, putting on our flesh, our human nature, and the Holy Spirit coming upon it and saying, this is my beloved Son and starting a regeneration of this creation, starting a, a seed of a new creation in the midst of a creation that was under the curse of division and destruction. Jesus, the God-man. We have this reflection to, to Genesis 1 here again. And then, and again, I'm sorry that I have to rush through this, but I just want to get you some of these highlights of how the Trinity is involved in bringing things back into unity through the new creation, through the Holy Spirit. And then we see Pentecost. We just celebrated Pentecost last week. And I have to say, Pentecost is one of the most amazing festivals, really, if you think about it. After the resurrection of Jesus, He and the Father sent the third person of the Trinity onto this earth in a way that had never happened before. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would descend on individuals for a time to accomplish certain purposes, but then withdraw. Now, something drastically changed. Now, the Holy Trinity said, I'm going to come on you, I'm going to come inside of you, and I'm going to make you my temple. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to abide in you. And I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to make you a partaker of the divine nature, Second Peter chapter 1 says. 
We have become partakers of the divine nature through the Holy Spirit. And so what we see at Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit came upon the believers and in one day, 120, a church of 120 grew into a church of 3,000. Now, that's a challenge right there. And there was no live stream and anything like that. They had to somehow organize themselves in, in a way. I mean, what a, what a logistical challenge. But what we see from, from day one of the birth of, of the church is that the Holy Spirit came with a very strong emphasis on unity. What happened? The, the, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they started speaking in one voice but in different tongues. And all the nations that happened to be represented in Jerusalem for the festival of, of uh, Pentecost, there were literally believers from all over the world, the known world at that point, and all of them heard the miracles and wonders of God in their own native language. So here we have this powerful image of one voice, one, one utterance understood in many different languages in, a, in diverse among diverse people groups. And that needs to tell us something about the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of unity. He's the spirit who wants to unite us. He's the spirit who wants to bring us back together. He's the spirit who destroys the dividing walls, the barriers that had been set up between the nations and ethnicities. He came and he immediately, he just destroyed all of it. And he sets us a powerful, he gives us a powerful sign by saying, I'm calling the world back into unity. Not uniformity. I'm not expecting all of you to look alike and talk alike. No, I love diversity and yet unity. We see this strong emphasis. And Peter gets up and he says, he quotes from the prophet Joel who said, in the last days, God promises that he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. All flesh. All nations. All people. You know, it took a while for the first generation of believers to really understand that. They thought that the Jews were still somewhat of the favorite people and God really only wanted to bless and baptize them. But no, the Holy Spirit had different plans. We were all called to be part of this one united body of Jesus Christ. All flesh, male and female, black and white, everybody included, old and young. And why did the Holy Spirit do that? I believe because he's, he's bringing us back into the reflection and the image-bearing capacity of the Trinity. We're called to, to reflect the beautiful image of what it means to be distinct and yet completely one. But we can only do that in the Holy Spirit. We can't do that in our own efforts. This is one of the things that motivated my wife and I really to come and be part of the Anglican denomination. As many of you know, we have a different background, but there is something in us that's burning for unity. We have to learn to, to not let these little doctrinal, minute details here and there and all these other cultural and whatever differences, we must learn to not take offense at these things anymore. We must learn to come together and celebrate each other's strengths, honor each other's contributions, how can you and I honor and celebrate each other in the best way? We want to honor and celebrate ethnicities, nationalities, maleness and femaleness. We just don't want to use these things anymore to cause division and to separate us from one another. Through Jesus Christ and through his cross, every wall, every barrier of hostility was torn down. 
And the Holy Spirit is the one who puts that into effect in our lives. So we need to welcome the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our presence to reach this unity. I want to finish with this verse that Jesus himself prayed in John chapter 17, verse 21. The night before he was crucified, Jesus gives this amazing prayer to the Father. If you want to get a, a glimpse into the heart of God, a very deep glimpse, then read John 17. And in the middle of the prayer, Jesus says, Father, I pray that all of them may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you. Jesus is asking the Father that you and I be one to the same level as the Father and Jesus are one. Now that is a high standard, and that cannot be accomplished except by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Pentecost and the Holy Spirit are so important. He came to descend upon the waters, to bring forth new creation, to destroy the walls that divide us, and to bring us back into the image of the triune God. So we asked you at the beginning, where are you experiencing disunity and the effects of it? I want to pray this morning and invite you to pray along that we invite the Holy Spirit into these places, that he would destroy disunity, that he would heal us of the effects of disunity, and that this entire nation would experience a healing like never before. But again, this can only be done by the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, we, we invite your Spirit, your precious Holy Spirit, to come and to start with our lives, to start with our hearts. Come and convict us. Convict us of everything that brings disunity. Convict us of pride. Convict us of hatred and of divisiveness. Come and start with your church, your body. In Jesus' name, we invite you. And come and bring forth new creation. Come and bring this nation back into unity to the glory of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.